Hello and welcome to the Basement Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Castor, here with my co-host, Ed Birdsall. Mr. Birdsall, how you doing? Mr. Castor, how the heck are we? I'm okay. Um, a little under the weather today, but not going to stop me from doing a wonderful new edition of the Basement Talk Podcast for our wonderful listeners. Hope everyone is well. Hope everyone is healthy and safe. And uh, we're all just kind of carrying on here. Yeah, what a shame that it's so, it's been so nice the past couple of days, and we're we're still uh, cooped up inside with no sports to watch. Hey, on uh, on ESPN they picked up Korean baseball, live Korean baseball. So if, if That's you want to watch some live live sports action, you can uh, start you know get yourself propped up and uh, start watching some Korean baseball at uh, at one two o'clock at like ten eleven o'clock in the morning. But hey. It'll do. Yeah, time zones, man. That's how that's how it goes. This is true. But uh, yeah, I mean everything everything's doing well. I like Bird said. I hope everybody's staying safe and uh, staying inside. And when you do go outside, enjoy the uh, weather. Make sure to protect yourself. As a, wear your masks, wear yeah. your gloves. As I think Wu Tang Clan once said, protect your neck. And as Marshawn Lynch once said, protect your chickens. Yeah. Right. Was he saying that to Von Miller? Who is it? Who is a no? Uh, no, he farmer? said he said he said that in the um, his last uh, press conference when he uh, when he was uh, retiring. It was after the game against the Packers when he said, uh, "Everyone, take care of your mentals and protect your chickens." God, he's just such a such an interesting person. He's just he's a true poet. He he re- he really is just a uh, revolutionary of our time. He's like the Yogi Berra of his generation. In the way that he speaks very weirdly. I think the words of Marshawn Lynch would uh, definitely make even some of the greatest philosophers of our time. Homer, Aristotle, Plato, Edgar Allan Poe, Emily Dickinson. It, it would make them even shed a tear. I w- honestly. I wouldn't say that, that Edgar Allan Poe and Emily Dickinson are, are philosophers. They're just, they were authors. But I, get, I see where you're coming from. They are philosophical minds of our time. Okay. Anyway, which they were able to express in their writings, and of course the man Ernest Hemingway, that too. That 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 man is just a different level of uh, philosopher. But so the first thing that we're going to be talking about, as far as news and notes are concerned, is something that is sad that recently happened a couple of hours ago. The legendary coach, the winningest football coach of all time in the NFL, is uh, Don Shula, of course, but. He sadly passed away this morning at the age of 90. Information hasn't really come out about uh, what was going on with the, with him, but honestly, that is really none of our business. But Don Shula was arguably, I think, in my opinion, next to uh, the two Bills, one of the greatest NFL coaches of all time. You know, he... Won back-to-back Super Bowls with the Dolphins, uh, the first of which was the perfect season. He also coached the Indianapolis Colts to a, to a Super Bowl three, where they lost to the New York Jets and Joe Namath. But he, kind of like Tom Landry, he was the kind of coach that was in his job basically for as long as he wanted. Like there was the only way that he was going to leave his job was if he retired. And that's kind of what happened. He was in, he was in the job for a long time, from the uh, early '70s up until the mid '90s. So that's like unprecedented uh, longevity for coaches. And frankly, I mean, the the fact that John that Don Shula was able to be to have the Dolphins on the top of their game for most of his tenure with the evolving nature of the NFL. I mean, you think about it, he was coaching in the in the area or in the era of these high po- these high paced potent offenses of the of the San Diego Chargers, the and the San Francisco 49ers. So, yeah, the NFL has really lost one of the greats and um 
thoughts and prayers and hearts go out to the Shula family. Of course, his uh, two of his son or yeah, I think two of two of his sons were coaches in the NFL. Uh, Mike Shula was the coach of the uh, Cincinnati Bengals, and I Bird. Do you remember the name of his other son? Dave. Dave Shula is the wide receiver coach at Dartmouth. Oh. He, I think he was in the NFL at, at one point. Probably was. Yeah. Anyway, so thank you for fact-checking me on that. And he was, the head coach for, he was the head coach for the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, that was Dave Shula? Dave Shula was the head coach for the Bengals. And Mike Shula. Mike Shula. Mike Shula's resume is, is long. Uh, he was the head coach at Alabama before, of course, Mr. Saban. Uh, was QB coach for the Jaguars, the Panthers, then offensive coordinator for the Panthers, offensive coordinator for the Giants, and now he's the QB coach for the Broncos, where, of course, he's serving under his old boss, uh, Mr. Pat Shermer, who was the new offensive coordinator for the uh, for the Broncos. And the next bit of news and notes, moving on to a, a very different subject and talking about something that we really barely ever talk about on this podcast and that's NASCAR. It's been, I don't even remember the last time we talked about NASCAR. But this is actually kind of important because a, ra- a race in Darlington, South Carolina, is supposed to be happening in two weeks. Less than two weeks, really. Uh, May 17th is when this race is supposed to be going down. And honestly, I don't, I'm not all that crazy about it. In the sense that, what, like, why <laughs> are when the uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic is still alive and well, you know, I think that especially in a state like South Carolina, where you know their cur- their curve isn't in the same place that uh, we are that we're at in New York and like the tri state area, and frankly, I think if they're do if they're going to be doing this, it's not like it's not going to end well. I mean, sure, people will enjoy it for the for the spectacle of racing, but other the, otherwise, it's just not not a not a smart idea. What do you think, Bird? So Darlington, which affectionately is nicknamed the Lady in Black because of its uh, affinity for having night nighttime races, um, is one of the more difficult tracks in uh, the NASCAR circuit to to really handle. And so they're going to have this race. They're not going to have fans there. So that's the most, uh, probably the most important thing where I could see this sort of uh, going about and, you know, this kind of happening. But um, they can do it because, you know, you have all the crew that are in, you know, their full their full suits and racing suits and all of that. The drivers are in their cars. They're not really, you know, on top of one another. Whereas, you know, let's say if you're, on a field or in a rink or anything like that, you know, where you're definitely on top of each other in the field of play, these drivers are just driving around, they're in their own spaces and in their cars, and, and that's that. Um, I think it's nice, like you said, Adam. I think it's going to be really um, – I'm definitely marking it on my schedule because I am dying to see some live sports and – I can't think of a better way to kill some time in quarantine than watch guys drive around a track for four hours and make consistent left turns. But there are some issues, yeah, for sure. I don't know how much, how long, you know, these this rebirth of NASCAR for this season is going to be because, yeah, you have to go to different places where the curve, like you said, Adam, is just a whole lot different with this pandemic, but... It, it, it offers some sort of hope that maybe some form of uh, normalcy is is coming back to our overall way of living when uh, everyone is just sort of down and done and wants this to be over with. So just to have some live sports back on TV, I think, is something that that everyone is really looking forward to. I think NASCAR is going to get a uh, pretty significant ratings boom from this just because it's something it's something to watch that's live so uh nascar will i think they'll make out all right with this and they're not and they're not taking so much of a beating like uh other um companies are such as ufc who they're planning on going on with their uh 
their fights, and uh, Dana White has taken some uh, unnecessary heat from the outside about you know why uh, he's going to have uh, his UFC fights uh, go on. I believe the one they have coming up is UFC 249, I believe, with uh, Tony Ferguson, who's going up against I forget who's going who was going up against. It was, it was supposed to be Habib, but uh, Habib pulled out because of course Corona. Right. Well, I think that the UFC is a lot more defensible or it, the UFC is a lot more indefensible than NASCAR because the UFC, I mean, literally, if you looked up the opposite of social distancing in like the antonym of social distancing in a thesaurus, you just find a picture of a UFC fight. That's that's what it it's is. Combat sport. Yeah. I mean, the same thing with with wrestling, which is why I was never in favor of uh what Florida was doing, saying that the rest that the WWE is an essential thing, because really, it, it isn't. Well, you look at you look at what's going on in WWE right now. They have uh, one of their uh, their top guys, uh, Roman Reigns, who, of course, had cancer and and he's been you know going through his various health issues. Came back, uh, was doing really well, and then this came, and they went to of course the training facility that they have in uh, I believe it's Orlando and they were doing their tapings out of there a whole bit and Roman Reigns basically just said I'm not I'm not doing this because I, I my health is already compromised because of my leukemia and I'm just not going to go about this and he's making a, a a very sensible health decision for himself for his family and I don't think anybody's really holding that against him, but I, I agree with you, Adam. I don't know how the state of Florida ruled that WWE is an essential uh, business, but WWE is doing their thing. AEW, which is the new rival promotion for uh, WWE, they're still doing their tapings as well, and AEW is, is really, really good and no free advertising, but you should definitely check it out because it is it is good stuff. And um, But I don't, I don't understand how they're both – essential business businesses it doesn't make a ton of sense to me but uh getting back to nascar i mean it's it's gonna be good just to have live sports back on and that's not korean baseball so i'll take it yeah i guess i mean it's it's definitely better i'm definitely more on board when you said that they're not gonna have any spectators because there's no way like even even so who is who is going to want to go to a NASCAR event? Who's going to want, like, especially now, like in two weeks, who is going to want to go to pack, to, to get packed into, uh, into high school bleachers, basically next to each other. You're not wrong. Where not to mention, I mean, you know, even still you could get sick from going to a stadium before this, because if people are going there with a cold or something, then you can definitely catch that because of how close quarters you are. But especially now, like the I would, even if I was a huge diehard NASCAR fan, which I am not, if I was, I still wouldn't go. Like I think honestly, I mean, I probably wasn't gonna go anyway because it's all all the way in New Jersey. But it, I probably won't be going to like a Jets like Jets games in the fall until there's a, there's a vaccine if they if they're gonna have fans in the stands or. Uh, even if the Mets make the world like make the World Series, I don't think I'm going to go to any of the games if that's still going to happen. If there's no vaccine, because I just don't want to risk it. I'd rather watch it on TV. I mean, even even more so. I mean, if we're talking about just being a bit more practical, have a people that maybe have vacations planned for their summer breaks, and you know they have to worry about now getting on a plane. And and we we've seen some of the uh, the videos and images of people who have been on planes and, and the airlines not going the extra mile to social distance and packing each other, packing people into, you know, the 232 configuration that they have on on certain planes. And then they have even the bigger ones where you have the 343 configuration. So it's scary. It's scary as shit. And, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that life is really going to be back to normal or, or, or some semblance of normal. Until, like you said, Adam, until until the vaccine you know comes out, and it's available to people that want to that want to have said vaccine. So let's move on to another 
another thing. We're still talking a bit. We're still pretty into the NFL offseason. You know, the draft is over. And this is fifth-year option time for a lot of players. Basically, the 2017 draft, the first round. As you know, it's been a thing since uh, the last collective bargaining agreement where uh, rookies or players drafted in the first round get this uh, fifth-year option in their contract that if the uh, it's a team option so if the team likes the player then they can uh, have that fifth-year option they could use that to sign the player to give them more time to sign the player to an extension or give the player another chance to prove themselves worthy of an extension so we have kind of both sides of that I feel like with this crop of uh, fifth-year options because you have uh, first of all only one player in the top five of the 2017 draft is going to be uh, is going to have his fifth-year option picked up which is nonsense or which is nuts to me and that's Miles Garrett which is even more nuts to me because of uh, of what happened last year with uh, him and Mason Rudolph but he is a good player so I can't. I mean, I can't deny that. But it's a, it's 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 strange that he was the only one, because I mean, the second overall pick, uh, Trubisky, Mitch Trubisky, I, that's understandable. They just brought in Nick Foles. I think I was listening to uh, Mike Francesa actually when I was going to the grocery store yesterday, and he was like, you know what? I don't think I don't even think Trubisky is going to be starting next year i think he's gonna have to fight fight off nick Foles for the starting job and honestly i i kind of agree with that because i don't think the bears have a lot of confidence in mitchell trubisky and that's kind of the main reason why they they not only gave up assets for to trade for nick Foles, but also didn't pick up his fifth year option and uh solomon thomas for the 49ers kind of fell off the face of the earth i feel like he hasn't really been doing all that well but uh, maybe now that the 49ers traded away some of their uh, edge-rushing talent, that can give them the opportunity to to prove himself. But you never know. Uh, Leonard Fournette was also interesting. He's a, had kind of a shaky career so far. He had a really great first year with the Jacksonville Jaguars and then a pretty shaky year two and I feel like an even shakier year three. Then had the blow up with Tom Coughlin. Right, exactly. Of course. And then Bird's favorite wide receiver in the, of the 2017 draft class, Corey Davis. You mean of all time. Thank you. Very hot. Thank you. All time. Very hot and cold. Very much. Oh, like shows you something, shows you flashes of uh, Pro Bowl talent. And that one week and the next week, he's like, why is this guy still on the team? But I think maybe you could see we'd have a better gauge of his talent with a full year of Ryan Tannehill. Cause maybe, I mean, you never know if it was a combination of Corey Davis and Marcus Mariota, or if it was just Marcus Mariota, but this is kind of, this is, this is the science experiment and the control is Corey Davis. So let's see what happens when they change, when they change a quarterback, when they change quarterbacks for, for a full season. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? I mean, Jamal Adams as well. Number six overall to the Jets. His uh, option was picked up. And the Jets are definitely... Joe Douglas is looking to sign him to a, a uh, big extension. And honestly, the sooner the better because uh, he's the best player on the Jets. I mean, that's pretty... Pretty cut and dry on on that one. So, yeah, Bird? I mean, there's not really a whole bunch of surprises here. I think, you know, the one that is probably going to create the most talking points is, of course, going to be Mitchell Trubisky because they, of course, traded for Nick Foles. There's this now full-fledged QB competition now in Chicago. And honestly, I think the writing is just on the wall for Mitchell Trubisky to not be a member of the Chicago Bears uh, come the end of the season I think that this could be his last year in Chicago, and it would be a—I mean, this is already a massive, massive sign that the Bears have completely failed on every level when it came to drafting Mitchell Trubisky when you consider 
the two other quarterbacks that went at number 10 and number 12 in this draft, Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. And yeah, of course, that has just gotten, you know, beaten with a uh, with a wooden spoon time and time and time again. But, you know, it, it it's something to be, um, it has to be talked about because they were drafted in the same draft class and nobody in that 2017 class really had Mitchell Trubisky being, you know, this superstar sort of quarterback. Granted, nobody had Patrick Mahomes being that or Deshaun Watson, but I think most people did have Mahomes and Watson as better quarterback prospects than Mitchell Trubisky. I mean, I believe in that uh, 2017 draft, I had the order being Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, then Trubisky. So I was wrong on one level, but not so much on another. Um, Well, I think Watson and Mahomes really proved a lot more in college than Trubisky because Trubisky only started one year in Correct. college. Correct. And it was, and it was at, it was at UNC. Yeah. Whereas Mahomes was playing for Texas tech. And of course, Deshaun Watson was playing in a national championship game with Clemson. Right. Multiple national championship so, games, multiple, multiple national championship games. Exactly. Um, I'm just going down like the list here um, to see who has, there have been really any more surprises. I mean, there really have. I guess maybe Evan Ingram getting his option picked up by the Giants. That that could be a surprise given that he has been uh, unable to prove his overall um, durability week in, week out. Um, TJ Watt, not really a surprise. Davius White, his option was picked up a week ago. Not really much of a surprise there. OJ Howard was a little bit of a surprise. I think that maybe shows you the direction that the Bucks maybe are willing to go, that they are not going to trade O.J. Howard. Maybe the guy that they might look to trade is Cameron Braid. I doubt that they are going to have three tight ends uh, of that caliber of Ka- of Cameron Braid, O.J. Howard, and, of course, Rob Gronkowski on their roster come week one. But well, didn't you say they signed Cameron Braid to a huge contract? They did. They they, they signed they, they have him for five more years. So that's... Signed to a six, six-year extension. I don't know. Maybe Bruce Arians like, you know what? We're just going to run a three tight end set with one wide receiver. Yes, the man who has historically never used tight ends is saying we're going to embrace tight ends. Now. Yep. Well, you have he's three traded for one tight end, and now he when he had two perfectly good ones. It's uh oh boy. I wonder what Bruce Arians is going to do. Here's the one that I think is really interesting, and I think he could be, he, he's one that I think people are just waiting for him to break out, but I don't know if it's really going to happen, and that's John Ross from the Bengals. See, I thought you were going to talk about Corey drafted, Davis again. Oh, no. Well, Corey, da- Corey Davis is going to be better when he's off the Titans, so I'm, I'm very happy that the Titans have declined that option, and hopefully Corey Davis is going to go to a, uh, go to a team that will properly utilize his skill set where he can be the Hall of Fame wide receiver that he is truly capable of being. John Ross, though, is a completely different story because he is a speedster. He's quick. I didn't necessarily like him because he just seemed like a one-trick pony for me when he came out um, in 2017. But I think he, he could potentially have a renaissance sort of year with Joe Burrow. I think that that is possible. But he would need a lot of things to work in his way, and he would really have to show up and have Joe Burrow really like what he sees in John Ross. So uh, we'll we'll see we'll see on that front. Yeah, but also John Ross is going to be basically the third guy in this uh, Bengals offense. He could be the fourth guy, or the yeah, or the fourth guy with AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, T Higgins, and him. Yeah, so that's not. It's not exactly conducive to his development. I think, I mean, John Ross definitely definitely was a case of a guy getting overdrafted based on his uh, measurables, shall we say? Correct. The his forty. It was a very Al Davis pick. It was, and this is this is why I, I said on the um, on the bold predictions podcast that I did with uh, with Jake. I said that is wide receiver and corner are the two positions where I don't necessarily look at the measurables. I look at the game tape first, and then if there's something that I don't really see or that I do see but needs to be verified with the measurables, then you look at the measurables. But it's always the game tape first because those are the two positions where the eye test is always going to work. Well, quarterback's the same way. 
Quarterback is the same way too. Because you can, I mean, think about it. You can be like the size, as a wide receiver, you could be the size of Calvin Johnson or DK Metcalf. But if you can't catch a cold, then you're fucked in the NFL. That's as simple as that. <laughs> if you can't catch a cold, you're fucked. Yeah. I can't say I've heard that one. That is... Um... Well, you've heard, like, you know, he can't catch a cold, right? The uh... Yes, I have. So? I can't say I've heard... I can't say that I heard that one used in that light. That is well done. Yeah. And also, like, as a quarterback, the famous example is uh, Jamarcus Russell. The guy could hit, could throw the ball through the uprights on his knees from midfield, but can he hit a wide receiver streaking down the sideline? No, he cannot. And that's why he was not, he's not a great quarterback. So, and he also did, and he also didn't want to put the work in at all, but that's a completely different story for another day. So it's all about for, for those certain positions, a lot, a lot of it is about the, uh, the game film and not, and not only the measurables, but you know, uh, a lot of GMs are very set in their ways with how that goes, where it's like, they want to, uh, you know, you hear prototypical size a lot of the time when you're talking about uh, quarterbacks, wide receivers, corners, and it's very much a stereotype when really you have a lot of uh, quarterbacks or just players who break the mold as far as size is concerned that have uh, done pretty well for themselves, I would say like Deshaun Watson, Russell, Russell Wilson, and uh, Drew Brees, and Doug Flutie. So, there you go. It's true. Anyway, the uh, last thing we're going to be talking about, it's a good thing that you mentioned John Ross, Bird, because it's actually a nice unintentional segue, because we're going to be talking about one of John Ross's former teammates, a, a player that used to throw the ball to John Ross, one uh, Andrew Dalton who is going back to the place that he used to play college in, uh, in Texas, of course. He played for TCU. And he's going to be playing a stadium that he's actually pretty familiar with because I believe that a lot of the uh, rivalry games they played with uh, against Baylor were in one AT&T stadium. And in case you couldn't have guessed, Andy Dalton has signed on as a backup for Dak Prescott uh, on the Dallas Cowboys. And I'm leaving this entirely to Bird. So, Bird, please take a deep breath and... Thank you, Dr. Castor. I really appreciate it. Tell me how you really feel. You see, for those that are unfamiliar, I have been on record many, many times, and Adam can vouch for this, that I have said that Andy Dalton is one of the worst quarterbacks that the NFL has to offer. Adam, have I not said that? You have said that. Okay, good. I saw this news on on Saturday. I was somewhere in between wanting to curl up at a ball and cry or wanting to just run my head through a wall. Because this is Andy Dalton, one of the players that I just genuinely despise the most in the National Football League, just for the sake of him not being good. I'm sure he's a very nice man. I'm sure he does a lot of wonderful things for, for charity. The vid- thank you video that he posts on Instagram for the Bengals. Very nice touch. But this is Andy Dalton that we're talking about. He, I don't think he's a very good quarterback. And now he is the backup quarterback slash insurance policy for Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. I saw this. My first immediate reaction was... Fuck. Because it's Andy Dalton. But then you peel it back and you say, well, he's a proven quarterback. He has gotten it done in the past with very good supporting cast. He's gotten to the playoffs. Hasn't done anything with that, but got to the playoffs. And what if Dak doesn't show up? And were we really going to have Cooper Rush be the backup quarterback? He was waived today to make room for Andy Dalton on the roster. The other side to this was there are probably two other things that could have been worse. The first one 
would have been Eli Manning coming out of retirement and being the backup quarterback to Dak Prescott for the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, my God. Where we really would have the most bang-average quarterback as our backup and who is going to be the worst quarterback in the Hall of Fame. That's number one. Number two, and Adam, you've heard me say this before, it could have been Marcus Mariota, who is the worst quarterback in the National Football League. Have I not said that in the past? Well, you have, but it also couldn't have been because he's already on the Raiders. Well, right, but if they were in the market for a backup quarterback, they could have gone and signed Marcus Mariota, and that would have that would have been the end of me. That would have, that would have been the end of me because he is the worst quarterback in the National Football League, and it's not close. Andy Dalton could at least hold a candle above Marcus Mariota and say, ha, I'm better than you. But every other quarterback in the league right now could hold a candle over those two and say that they're better than them. Taysom Hill, who's not a quarterback, can hold a candle over both Andy Dalton and Marcus Mariota and say, I'm a better quarterback than you. Is, do you think Josh Rosen's a better quarterback than Marcus Mariota? Oh, wow. Uh, yes. Really? Yes. yes. Oh, my God, yeah. Josh Rosen can throw a football. Marcus Mariota cannot throw a football. Do you think David Fails is a better quarterback than Marcus Mariota? Yes. What? Yes. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Luke Falk, one hundred percent better than Marcus Mariota. Oh my god. Marcus Mariota made Corey Davis look like a nothing receiver. That is a disgrace. Would you rather have Marcus Mariota or Mitchell Trubisky? Mitchell Trubisky. Okay. Well, I mean, easy, yeah. easy, because I think you could still you have a shot with Trubisky. You you have you really have a shot with Mariota. You have no chance. You have no chance. If if the Las Vegas Raiders resort to Marcus Mariota, if they bench Carr, oh good, oh my God, ooh, ooh. the Raiders could be picking number one overall, which wouldn't be a bad thing. I mean, they, they they'd get Trevor, so Trevor would be the face of the franchise in. Uh, in Las Vegas, Trevor Lawrence, for those who are genuinely confused. Oh. Adam, if Andy Dalton has to play in a meaningful football game for my Dallas Cowboys in the calendar year of 2020, I don't know what I'll do. I don't know what I'll do. Yeah, well, I think you made your thoughts pretty pretty well known on this topic. It's a good it's a good signing for the team if they want insurance behind Dak, but from my heart it's not great. I can't even think of like an equivalent. I mean, I guess it would be like if the Jets signed Tom Brady to be Sam Donald's backup, but at least we'd have like a, a good like a solid quarterback as a backup. It's like if the Jets brought back Bill Belichick to be the president of football operations. Oh God! Oh, actually, you know what? Yeah, that's probably. Yeah, that that would be it. Oh, I think I just threw up a little bit in my mouth when you said that. <laughs> God. Anyway, let's move on to the main topic of our podcast, and that is another Matt Rushmore. And Matt Rushmores are fun. I think you could agree with me on that, Bird. I can. And. This time, it's not going to be sports-related. We're going to be talking about a uh, another thing that Bird and I like to talk about on the podcast occasionally when we uh, go off on our tangents that we love to do so much, and that's film. Bird and I are really avid film lovers. Some would say cinephiles. Some would say cinephiles. It's going to be the same sort of thing that we did last time when we did our uh, New York sports Matt Rushmore. And since I had first pick last time, I'm going to give the honors to you, Bird, Oh, thank you. As a first pick in this Mount Rushmore. And basically, before you do that, I kind of want to go over the rules a bit. Because it is a little different than a sports-based Mount Rushmore. So basically, it's going to be like like this. It's, we're going to have... You can't name franchises. That's a that's a rule. So you can't just Correct. say, like, Star Wars. And, be, and then have it be that. Because that's cheating. That's like... That's no fun. And honestly, in my opinion, that's wrong. But you it's only singular singular movies that we're talking about here. And otherwise there really is no genre restriction. So if you wanted to name like four crime movies or four, or 
five or four uh, Tarantino movies that you can totally do that. So that's really the only rule is that you it's only one movie per entry. All right, so Bird, what Correct. is your first pick? Oh, okay. Um, you see, there is one that I talked about on a episode of this podcast that was before this pandemic even started that I said if we were to ever do this, I'd put it number one. But I don't think you're going to put, put that film on your list. So I'm going to save it. If you put it on your list, I might drive to Port Washington and break all social distancing protocol just to kill you. Wow, that is actually... I now I'm kind of just like, what movie could this possibly be? Well, you're gonna you're, you're gonna find out. In any event, I am going with my number one pick in the movie Mount Rushmore. I am gonna go for The Godfather Part Two. Fuck you. Now, exactly. <laughs> that's what I that's what I was hoping. I'm gonna for. drive to Huntington is- and break all social distancing just to kill you. <laughs> Um, it, I mean, for me, this is it, it's one of the greatest f- movies of all time. I think if I'm putting this into my personal films of all time, I would say it's in the top two or three. I would I would really, really think it would be that close. And you look at the cast that was on this film, Al Pacino, Robert Duvall, Diane Keaton, Robert De Niro. I mean, just unbelievable actors and actresses that were in this film and just played so, so brilliantly. Al Pacino as Michael Corleone was just amazing. I mean, this is this is just, for me, one of the best films of all time. Hands down, far and away. Godfather, part two. Bam. Okay, well, I am going to go with the the first Godfather for my pick. Because that's, I think it's an equally great hmm. movie, as well. Direct, I would directed agree. I would by agree. a uh, fellow Hofstra alumnus in Francis Ford Coppola, and the uh, same sort of cast is in the uh, Godfather Part Two, of course, with the addition of Marlon Brando as uh, Vito Corleone. I mean, this is the the movie that was really the uh, progenitor of the of the modern mobster movie where it makes you want to root for the bad guys because really you don't want to believe it, but the, uh, the Corleone family, they're the bad guys. They're mobsters. They, you know, they, they kill people. They, some of them are drug dealers. So yeah, they're, they're, they're criminals, but you, you want to see them grow. You want to see the movie. You're invested in the plot because these people are relatable. They're relatable characters. And you kind of see that, when you're put into the perspective of Michael, who is part of the family, but he's a relative outsider who kind of gets dragged into it uh, as the movie goes on. Because, you know, Michael is just coming back from military service. He gets kind of sucked back in to the family they didn't want a part of. And the arc isn't really necessarily about the family. It's more about Michael. It's about Michael becoming the, the godfather quote unquote, when he uh, succeeds Vito Corleone. And that, and honestly, that's why uh, it's a great movie. I mean, also, of course, the score and the uh, cinematography are amazing. I can think of probably one of my favorite sequences of the entire movie is the, uh, the, the elevator scenes, like uh, when they're in the church. I forget. It's not a, I forgot what the ceremony is called. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's a christening. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I, I was about to, I was about to say it's a bris. I was like, this, that's not right. They're not Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The christening. Yeah. It's a, the christening. The christening sequence is probably one of the best sequences in, uh, in history where the, like the, the baby crying is simultaneously, is like super simultaneously cut alongside the, the systemic killing of all of uh, Michael's enemies. It's great. It's just a just a, a cinematic masterpiece by uh, one Francis Ford Coppola. Hofstra alum. alum. All right, so I have a second pick, right? It's a, it's a snake. Drop. Yes, you do. Oh man, this is. Be very careful, Mister Caster. Be very careful. Well, I am going to pick for my second. I'm going to pick 
Star Wars, Episode Five, The Empire Strikes Back. Thank you, thank you, God. Wait, you were gonna? Oh, I'm no, I'm not picking that one. If that's what you're thinking of, but so uh, Star Wars Episode Five, Empire Strikes Back, is a great is like a, a phenomenal sci-fi movie. You know, it's a it's a great sequel from uh, Episode Four, New Hope, and. I mean, back in the day, it was just Star Wars 2 because the uh, prequels weren't a thing yet. But even it, it's one of those movies where even if you know the two, like probably the only case where the movie is still good, even though you know the twist at the end. I think I, I think Bird, you would agree with that. I would agree. And you, you have a lot more character development between uh, Luke, Leia and Han as a team. Than you had in uh, episode four, A New Hope, and um, as well, like it, it didn't feel like the second movie in a trilogy. It felt like its own thing, really. I mean, of course, like you know, Han Solo getting frozen in carbonite was definitely a bit of a sequel hook, and like the whole thing with uh, Luke's hand getting cut off and having it be, um, basically giving him a bionic hand was a bit of a was a bit of a sequel hook but otherwise the movie really stands alone on its own like it doesn't really call back to a lot of stuff from episode four besides maybe like the the ghost of obi-wan telling uh luke to go to uh to dagobah to learn how to be a jedi from yoda but otherwise really it's the kind of movie that stands on its own and much like the godfather the the cinematography and and the score are incredible and the just the way like the amount of stuff that they were able to do back back then without the use of like cgi a lot of the time it was a very early i believe cgi if they even used it at all a lot of it was you know people in either people in costumes or um like a actual like ha- kind of handmade sets so i think it was really impressive for the time as well as it was just a different kind of sci-fi movie and a lot of and a lot of the times you know the sci-fi movies back then were a lot were like really silent a lot of the time they were more existential like you you think of like 2001 a space odyssey uh for example or or blade runner but star wars was basically just like just like an action movie like it was it's junk food but it's really good it's sci-fi junk food that's fair so your second pick Oh boy. Um All right. I'm going to go with the most recent film on my list. And that is of course the film that just won best picture and that is Parasite. Ooh. South Korean black comedy thriller film directed of course by the man Bong Joon-ho absolutely brilliant and i know that a lot of people are going to say well the whole language barrier and and all of that no 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 no. the subtitles you get over real quick and you realize that it really is such a brilliantly done film that talks about it's basically it just dives in to class warfare when you're talking about the upper class that live in South Korea and then the lower class in South Korea and what happens when the lower class starts to infiltrate the upper class and you know the greed and all of that that starts to set in and what greed goes and makes people do it is absolutely fascinating to watch this all play out and it's a two hour movie that really flew by and you get over it real real quick when you realize it's in it's in South Korea it's in South Korean and it is you think it's going in one direction and then in the blink of an eye it flips completely and it goes in a totally different direction and you're trying to calculate all the things in your head of what it could possibly be, where this is going. 
you don't know where it's going. You just don't know where it's going until it actually happens. And you say, yeah, I did not even think that was even going to go there. It is so well done. And it's it's one of the best films that I've seen in a very, very long time. And I would be remiss in my duties if I did not put this on my list. So Parasite for me is on this list. And I highly, highly, highly recommend it to anybody who hasn't seen it. Watch it. Just shut up. Don't complain. Don't even start to, you know, fixate over the subtitles. Just shut up, sit down, get a drink if you're over the age of 21 and can legally consume alcohol and watch it. So do I have another one? Yes, here? you have a you have a your third pick. Ah oh, shit. All right. This is this is where uh I bring out the uh, the big guns, and this is the best film I have ever seen, and I want to make sure that you don't get it. This is the one that I was hyping up, and it is, of course, the 1994 masterpiece known as The Shawshank Redemption. Ooh, very nice. An absolutely wonderful Wonderful film. Andy Dufresne, Ellis Red Redding. Arguably, the way that Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman have played those two characters perhaps is something that I will never see in a film ever again. They were played so brilliantly. Andy Dufresne in jail, sentenced to life in prison, of course, in Shawshank State Penitentiary for murdering his wife and her side fling. And then uh, Red was in jail because he was a contraband smuggler, a.k.a. he did some not very nice things. And him and Andy become friends. And eventually, um, I I won't say, you know, what happens or how it, you know, ends because I know some people haven't seen Shawshank. And I highly recommend go and watch Shawshank. After you watch Parasite, you can go watch Shawshank. Well, that is a it's a surprise that people have not seen The Shawshank Redemption because it it's graphic it's as worth hell. Worth it. It is graphic as hell, but it is worth it. Because it is it has so many like underlying lessons about life that you don't really know about or you don't really realize is the truth until you watch this film. And then it makes you reaffirms that, or it makes you realize that, Oh, this certain thing that, you know, we can contribute to our everyday lives actually is the truth. And this film does an absolutely wonderful job of showcasing that exact lesson. I'm not going to say what that lesson is because it undercuts the entire film and it would give away the ending. So I'm not going to say it, but you go and watch said film you know what I'm talking about. I, it's it's one of it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I said I had it at number one on my my favorite films of all time. It is just that brilliant for me, and I'm feeling very confident about my list. I don't know where I'm going to go with my fourth. I have like five that I'm debating about in my head, um, but I want to see where you go with the, your third and your fourth round picks, Adam, because. Hopefully you'll narrow it down for me. After you, after you, you didn't take Shawshank, so after this you can go anywhere you want, and I think I'll be okay. Yeah, I'm definitely in the same boat as you. I am definitely mulling a uh, a couple of films. I think the interesting thing is from all the movies that we mentioned, there wasn't a lot like comedy is a genre that hasn't really come up a lot, and uh, that's not just us. That's also in like the best shot, like the best movies of all time, like those lists, like you never really see comedy movies. I mean, I'm not mentioning a comedy here. I mean, I could obviously, uh, I mean, I think Austin Powers is pretty high on my list. And like, if we were doing like a top 10, I would put it up there. Austin Powers in the, inter- in the international man of mystery or the spy who shagged me. Great, great films, great, hilarious films. Michael Myers is great in it, but I'm going to name a movie that, 
is it's a serious movie, but it has a lot of comedic elements, and that's Goodfellas. I love Goodfellas. Hmm. I think that Goodfellas is one of those movies that it could be real serious if it wanted to be, but the way that they cast it was was perfect because uh, Ray Liotta is uh, Ray Liotta is great as uh, as Henry Hill, of course. Uh, and then the dynamic between Ray Liotta, Joe Pesci, and Robert De Niro as they're uh, going through the uh, the true story of Henry Hill's life is incredible. I mean, I love the cinematography. One of the it's one of those movies that you're that people show a lot in film class. One of the best scenes in that fi- in that film is the uh, the POV shot where or the uh, the long take where Henry Hill. Henry and his wife are going into the restaurant through the kitchen, through the back entrance, and the camera's trained right behind them, and it's following them through the kitchen, through the restaurant, and you can see everything that's going around, going on around them in this one long, continuous take, and it's so good. I mean, Scorsese is one of my favorite directors, in probably next to uh, Quentin Tarantino, and friend, and like, you know. The Godfather is a great is a great like mobster movie, but there wasn't like a lot of room for humor, really. I that, that's definitely not a point like a point against it because it's it's not supposed to be. I mean, the, probably the funniest part of that movie is uh, "Leave the gun, take the cannoli." It's probably the funniest line in The Godfather, but but Goodfellas has a ton of quotable lines, and it kind of it's more of a lighthearted take on the mobster movie genre. But it still gets its point across, and it still has the uh, solid character narrative you'd expect in a in a mobster movie. So that's why Goodfellas is up there for me. Adam, you took you took one of my five that I was debating. Goodfellas was one of them. Hmm. And then number four for me is a movie from another one of my favorite directors, and that's Quentin Tarantino. And this movie is Pulp Fiction. Oh, damn it. That was one of them, too? Oh, my God. That's what I settled on. Wow. Oh, my God. I could pick a lot of, twi- I could pick a lot of Tarantino movies for mine. Adam, you fucking asshole. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. The Hateful Eight was pretty good. was really good. Django Unchained. Kill Bill. Django is excellent. Django is excellent. And then uh, Pulp Fiction is the one I'm settling on. Oh, my God, Adam. I mean... To talk about movies with uh, with comedic ele- with like slight comedic elements in it. Pulp Fiction is amazing, in the sense that it's kind of like two it's like two movies blended into one because you have the story with John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson, and then you have the B plot with uh, with Bruce Willis, and it's uh, it's great. And then they it's like it's just a it's just a solid movie. The way that the way that it's structured, with the ending at the be- taking place at the beginning, and you kind of get to see what transpired to get them into that uh, event in the first place, and you know the character interactions, dialogue interactions, of course, like in Goodfellas, all the quotable lines that are said mostly by Samuel L. Jackson, and honestly, I think. Of all the like self-insert Quentin Tarantino roles, I think his role in Pulp Fiction was really, really good. It's just really funny. <laughs> just it, because he's just an asshole to these two guys that want to hide a body <laughs> in his car who are covered in blood as well. And he's just like in his robe drinking coffee. He's like, what the fuck do you guys want? And it's just, it's a great movie. All, all in all, fantastic movie. Although the one part of that movie that I do not like, and I think Bird would agree with me, is, well, you know, it's the one part that probably nobody likes in that movie. With Bruce Willis. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> when he is put into a um, a precarious predicament. Let's call it a dungeon. Which could... Just call it a dungeon. He's, called, he's put yes, in a dungeon. Yes, a a dungeon where some uh, um, sexually explicit things could potentially happen to him. Yeah. 
Otherwise, great movie. Adam, I really, I really hate you right now. It's okay. I know you don't really need it. It's the one I fucking settled on. God damn it. Um, all right. So I'm down to three that I'm going back and forth on. Um, I'm on Revenge of the Sith, episode three, Star Wars, with the best lightsaber fight in Star Wars. You can't tell me otherwise. Any ans- any other answers wrong? Really? Revenge between, of the Sith? Between Anakin and Obi-Wan, when you put when you put the whole raw emotion behind it, you get the whole cinematography of it. The score of that fight is ridiculous. I don't know. I like the. I think the ending, the lightsaber fight in Return of the Jedi, is better. What? Are you out of your mind? Mm-hmm. Well, no, I'm not out of my mind, but I just th- I think it's better. I get if you want to put. Luke versus versus Darth Vader in it. I I mean I guess, but if we're, well, we're and talking, the Emperor you know, also, and the Emperor, yeah. If you want to put the Emperor third party in that fight, yeah, we can. Wow, I mean, I'm just talking. I'm, I'm talking the whole, the whole enchilada, score, the way it was shot, cinema, CGI, the emotion behind it, the actual fight itself was brilliant. In uh, Revenge of the Sith. Absolutely brilliant. Um, damn it. Scarface is up there. Tony Montana, beautiful man. A, funny how one one of my favorite one, one of my favorite lines in cinema. And if you want to leave this in here, you can. If you don't, I understand why. But when he tells his wife that her womb is polluted <laughs> because of all the drugs that she Jesus does. Jesus Christ. That is just that is just pure magic. That's not what I was expecting you to say. I don't think I've ever laughed so hard in my life. Honestly. I really don't think I've I've ever laughed so hard over something the first time of hearing it than that. That was just amazing. And then the and then the movie itself was was brilliant and the the ending was was fantastic. And if you haven't seen Scarface, shame on you. Um because it really is it really is great. But but as you know, Adam, I am a, I'm a fan of classic cinema. Of course. And this is where I'm going to settle. I really shouldn't say settle because this is one of the best films of all time. And I highly recommend this film. Again, after you watch Parasite, after you watch Shawshank, you can go and watch this film. And what film is this? It is the Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman classic, Casablanca. Nice. I thought you were going to talk about Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane was up there as well. Citizen Kane was, was up there. But you talk about the whole setting of the film, you know, World War II. Then you have the former the former lovers Ingrid, uh, of Ilsa Lund and Rick Blaine, of course, played by Ingrid Bergman and Humphrey Bogart. And now you bring Victor Laszlo into the into the fray as well, where Victor Laszlo is on the run from the from the Germans, the Nazis and um, and Ilsa thinks that Rick has the ability to uh, get Victor Laszlo out of the way of the Germans and get him to safety. It, it's it truly is just wonderful. And you look at all the the way it was shot, and for a film that was that was made in 1942, and you're still talking about you know again it's it's a black and white film, but just. The way it was shot and everything about it, and then you get all the the, the wonderful scenes where you have Rick and Ilsa, you know, tr- rekindling their their love a bit and, and all of that. It is just it is so 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 good. Won't tell you the end because I'm not I'm not one for spoilers, but it is one of the better endings that there is in in my cinematic viewing experience. It is something that it's insane. This movie is something that this film, this masterpiece, whatever you want to call it, was brilliant. And the best part about this is, so I have a cousin of mine who lives out in, they live out in L.A., and he works at 
the airport where one of the sequences for Casablanca was filmed. So we went there, and I immediately said, oh, shit, this is where Casablanca was filmed. Well, one sequence, besides, you know, a, a soundstage in uh, in Burbank at Warner Brothers. But Wait, are you talking about that one, that one, sequence? Is that where... Th- I'm talking about that. I'm talking about that sequence. Oh, wow, yes. that's cool. That sequence, yes. That sequence was filmed at Van Noy's Airport, where my cousin now works. Cool. So before we go, I kind of want to. Since we we talked a lot about how there's so we had so many films in mind, let's go through some honorable mentions. Just just list them off. Oh God. Well, you had you had you had my Revenge of the Sith one. You had um, Citizen Kane. Scarface talked about that one. I mean, if we really want to talk about like kids' films, we could talk like for for me personally, Finding Nemo was was brilliant. Toy Story, um, Toy Story was really good. Gone with the Wind, yeah. excellent. Um, Apocalypse Now, absolutely amazing. Um, Forrest Gump, love that. S- Saving Private Ryan. The Dark Knight. Uh, the Dark Knight, yes. Very, very good Superman call. Superman 2. Um, uh, I don't know. Whatever. Uh, let's see. What else is in my I head? mean, I really like Wonder Woman also as a, as a modern. I heard I heard Wonder Woman was good. I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it, but I heard I heard it was uh, it was very, very good. Uh, Jaws, the original Jaws was was very good. Um. Oh, what else? Well, I mentioned. Oh, yeah, Django the the Hateful Eight. How about the um the Alfred Hitchcock classic Psycho? Yes, Psycho is great. Um, Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. Schindler's List was for as long as it is, because of course Spielberg. So well done, so 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 well done. Uh, Speaking of Spielberg, E.T., Jurassic Park, yeah, Indiana Jones, Raiders, Ra- Raiders of the yeah. Lost Ark, Blade Runner was up there for me. I was thinking about that. Blade Runner too, yeah. Blade Runner could be in there. Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. the Rocky films. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Rocky is probably Silence of the Lambs. Out of the, out of the Rocky movies. Yeah, yeah. I would say it's either Rocky Four. Or Rocky three for me. Creed was really good too. Creed was okay. Creed was okay. Um, Lawrence of Arabia, another classic film, very very good. I loved Birdman uh, when I saw it. Oh, Birdman was excellent. Even though even though they took my yeah. name, but that's for another day. Um, Watchmen. <sighs> Watchmen was excellent. Have you seen the show? No, I haven't seen the show yet. I want to see it. Well, it's. It's only one season, and it's only going to be one season because the director quit. Um, but the show was was excellent, so I highly What's recommend it. It's on HBO. Oh, HBO. Well, yeah. then uh, we don't have HBO hmm. in my in my household. But you could. I'm sure you can find you can find I'm it sure. elsewhere. I'm sure you definitely. I want to support can. the so artist bird. Before we wrap this before before we wrap this up, I will. Um, I will go down the list one more time of our top films of all time, our movie Mount Rushmore. For Ed, I went with Godfather Part 2, Parasite, Shawshank Redemption, and Casablanca. For Mr. Adam Castor, he went for The Godfather Part 1, Empire Strikes Back, which is Episode 5 of Star Wars, Goodfellas, and Pulp Fiction. I am a big fan. I think we did it. We did a good job with these lists. See, see, here's what I think. It's so hard. Before we wrap this up, I want to make I want to make this I want to make this very quick. When we did our New York sports Mount Rushmore, I think I got that one. I think I got you on that one. But I think with the movie one, I think if we ask the the audience here, I think they would agree with yours more than they would agree with mine. Because I think your films have been are all films. That I think a lot of people, that the, the overwhelming majority have seen, and that they really, really, that they really, really like. Mine are more of my personal 
favorites. And that I'm recommending that everyone has to see. Like, I don't think many people have seen Parasite. I don't think many people have seen Casablanca. Some people maybe have seen Shawshank. Maybe. I'd be surprised. But everyone's seen Godfather Part 2. And if you haven't seen Godfather Part 2, then fucking shame on you. Yeah. I I mean, these are just movies that I, that I enjoy. The, they're great. I mean, I think the main reason why I got into a lot of them was because of word of mouth. Actually, before we go, one movie that another honorable mention is 2001 a space odyssey and i'm shocked that it's been this long since we mentioned it mm. Mm. so good or the matrix as well sci-fi is so Stan- great stanley kubrick stanley kubrick classic yep but we can we can talk wow. about this for a long time yes we can yes we but can but that but that's basically it for right now Thank you for listening to this episode of the Basement Talk Podcast. To find all episodes of the Basement Talk Podcast, you can go on to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and the name is just the Basement Talk Podcast. Be sure to listen and leave us a five-star review and tell us how much you love the Basement Talk Podcast. We will see you next time where we will be doing some, some other stuff. It's another surprise! Even to us. For my co-host Ed Birdsall, I'm Adam Castor, and we will talk to you next time on the Basement Talk podcast. Bye-bye.